Anyways, we're going to get to our passage. So why don't you guys grab your Bibles? We're in Matthew 7. I know what you're thinking. We've been at this for quite a while, this Matthew series, and we're only in chapter 7. That's true. And we're only going to be covering four verses this evening. Actually, is it five, seven, eight, nine, ten? Five verses. But these have so many, these passages have so much theology in them that we can't possibly just go and blow by them. At the outset of this passage, I was so excited and I thought this was going to be um, our sermon for right after baptisms. But let me tell you, there's a lot of just meat in this one. So grab your Bibles. So it's verse 7, and we'll read to verse 11. Many of you will think that this is, this is quite common, very familiar, and there's been, I just believe, a lot of misinterpretation over the years of this passage. So let's read it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? This was sort of intended, remember the audience in this case would have been thousands of people. He's, he's on the mountain, he's sitting there, and this would have been, this probably would have been a joke at the time. Everybody would have laughed, you know, like the big, oh, yeah, whoa. Jesus would have paused at that time. And then this is sort of the moment where he wants to get everyone's attention. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This passage already within many of you guys is creating a lot of problems. Some of you even have some questions in your head about God, kind of like, Jesus, remember you said that? But what about me? What about my situation? And on Monday as I started to prep for this, I immediately got this feeling in my stomach of I could really, really, really mess this one up. And I got this feeling of many of you could walk out of this room believing two very heretical things about God. The first one is this. The first teaching goes along the lines of this is simply hyperbole. That is, Jesus is using exaggeration to make a point and and similar to the way that he said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, and you're thinking, okay, it's just meant to be an exaggeration. He doesn't mean ask whatever you want, and he'll give good gifts. That's not what he's trying to say. And prayer changes us. That's what it does. It makes us accept what will happen, and we have no control over it. And this is sort of a side of the argument that absolutely kills faith. This just destroys faith. And it turns fervent prayers into passive, apathetic believers who just think, you know what? If this is just exaggeration, then I I don't really know why I pray. And then there's the other hand. There's the prosperity doctrine where if you simply have enough faith that you can really have whatever you ask, this is the idea that God will always want to heal. He always wants to give what we want. And if he doesn't give us what we want, then guess what? He doesn't love us, and he's not our father. And oh my goodness. Both sides either steals faith or steals love for God as life moves on. 
And it's so hard to sort of know how to, how to preach and how to move forward in this passage. How do we approach this? You see, this week in our church, um, one of our brothers died. Stephen Boyson died. And, and he died of cancer. He, he was fighting this. And very publicly, um, there are lots of videos on Facebook. And, and many of us in this room just cheered as, as he said he was healed from it. And then it just came back quickly. And very quickly took his life. And, and it, was, it was really difficult to understand what God is, is, is doing in this situation. He left behind a great family. And there's been people in our, in our community who've been diagnosed with cancer. Aiden Bourne was just diagnosed again. And he's spending four months in chemo. And, and we're all thinking about many different people. There was a, a shooting in a church this morning in Salmon Arm. You're thinking, Salmon Arm. Salmon Arm. That's an hour and a half from here. And, and we look at all these things and we think, man, we've all encountered pain in one way or another. Either spouses walking out or divorce in our family or chronic illness, death in our families, loss of jobs. Some of you feel really lonely. Unmet expectations with finding a spouse or an inability to have children or prodigal children that have wandered away. And, and we've all prayed prayers, haven't we? And we've all heard preachers that simply say, you know what? Ask and you will receive, and this is the promise from Jesus himself. We've heard him say that. And we, we say these things, you know, I've asked, I've seeked, and I've knocked. Where's my good gifts? Do you guys ever feel like that? Is what Jesus saying here to be taken at face value? And if they are, then either I'm upset with him or he doesn't love me and I'm not good enough. It's a challenging scripture. And we need the Holy Spirit to guide us because you know what? Lies and deception can easily sneak into our brains. And if we leave this place and there's a seed of mistruth, that seed will grow as time goes on. Or... As problems develop, that seed will just, will just grow very quickly. And we will become very angry with God. Or very dissatisfied with ourselves. So let's spend some moments and just let's ask the Holy Spirit to inform each of us individually. Just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with his spirit, to make you wise, and to enlighten your mind. And then we will continue. Yeah, Jesus, please fill us with your spirit. God, you say that your spirit comes and leads us into all truth. God, things that we've believed over the years are so hard to change. God, you say that you will renew our minds. I pray for a renewal. God, I pray for in this place, God, for a fresh work to be done in us, God. God, you say that we can't grow unless we have new wineskins or else we'll burst. God, I pray for new wineskins, metaphorically speaking, God. God, that something new would happen. 
within each one of us in this place, God, just a brand newness in us, God. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, shortly before this sermon, if you remember back in Matthew 1, 2, and 3, Jesus was walking around and, and healing like crazy, and there was multitudes following him, thousands, and he pushed out on a boat, and, and he was so exhausted because everyone was trying to touch him. Just imagine being in a crowd of, of thousands. We were at a basketball game, and, and in this basketball game, there was fifteen to 20,000 people, and we were looking down, and somebody asked me, they said, is this how many people Jesus fed at the feeding of the 5,000? It's, it's an, a number that just looked too, like, insanely crazy. Everyone looked like a dot. And I was like, this is, this is how many people Jesus fed, because that was just men. It would have been fifteen to 20,000 people. It was, and they all wanted to touch Jesus. Imagine that. They all wanted to hear from him. They're trying to get to him. And remember how Jesus loved with that word splanchismai, meaning from the womb? Like, those are all his kids. So he's bearing all of their burdens, thousands and tens of thousands. And so Jesus is so exhausted that he leaves them to pray. And the disciples are like, where did Jesus go? Where's Jesus? We don't know where he went. And they're looking, and finally they find him. And Jesus is praying, and he's fervently praying and they look at him and he is so much peace he's just glowing with the 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 glory of god and peace and they're thinking how jesus do you pray like that they said jesus how do you pray oh i love this jesus says this he said when you pray say this is it these next two words changed history. He said, our Father. He said, Daddy. He used the word that means Abba. He says, when you pray, start off by saying, Abba. Abba. Up until this point, they only viewed God as Yahweh, and they wouldn't even say his name. In Hebrew scriptures, his name is never written. So they used this sacred word called the Tetragrammaton, which was Y-H-W-H. That was the name for God. It was abbreviation for Yahweh. They wouldn't even say it, and they'd never write it. So one scribe would write Y. They'd pass it to the next scribe. H, next scribe. W, next scribe. H. They would never say his name, ever. Because they had to keep his, his otherness evident. The fact that he is so far above us and so holy and so majestic that they would never say the name of God. He's too holy. If an Orthodox Jew said his name, they were to stone him to death. Did you know that? Stone him to death. There's a song by Phil Wickham, and in it he says, Yahweh, Yahweh. You know that song? I read the reviews of that song, and this, this Jewish person wrote on there, how dare he say the name Yahweh. This is sacrilege. I looked on his Facebook page, and he is a Jew. <laughs> they would never say the name of God, or else they would be stoned. And now Jesus says to refer to God as a child says the name of his father, Abba. This is such an intimate form of addressing somebody because there's no separation with your kids, is there? Think about your kids when you have little kids. Like, you have a little kid, they're a year old. 
I mean, you wipe their bums. You do. If there's some dried up snot on their face, what do you do? You lick your finger and you wash it off. That's what your mom does too, right? With your hair. It's the most intimate thing. Four in the morning, you're asleep and your kid just crawls into your bed. All of a sudden, you're getting kicked out of your own bed. Kids have this unprecedented access to their parents. It's extremely intimate. This is a crazy thing for Jesus to say. When you pray, start off by saying, Abba. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive bought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we, listen to this, cry, Abba. We don't say it, we cry it. It's like a child who just has unlimited access to his father, to his mother. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Something very interesting is that after this, this is the first time when Jesus prays that God the Father is ever mentioned. And Jesus never mentions him as his father. He mentions him as our father. We're co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. And we cry, Abba. You know, statistically, the first word that kids say is Dada. It is. I looked it up. It's true. It's not even mama. I thought it was. In our family, it sure was mama, but that's the way it goes. Actually, I think it was probably ball, and then mama, and then it was probably Connor McDavid, and then dada, something like that. But the first word Aramaic kid said was Abba. I've heard Aramaic kid, their first word was Abba. Abba. Such a cool word. And Jesus never uses the formal word for father in the New Testament. Did you know that? This formal word in the Greek was this word pater. And this would have been like father, like, like, like the kind of dad who's unapproachable, who's kind of like, son, go to your room. Like, like, oh, most high father. This is like a distant father. This is the formal greeting of father. Jesus never used that. He uses the term Abba. He wants us to get this. He wants us to understand this. This is how he refers to God. But you got to understand that the church had a hard time with this. For the first 100 years, the church would not use the term Abba. They wouldn't do it. They'd go to church, and in the cases where Paul would, would, would write those things that we just read, they would never say Abba. They would say Pater. Because they can't fathom a God who's inviting them into that unlimited access to him. And so they wouldn't do it. They were too intimidated to use that term for transcendent God. And you know what? We feel that way too. We feel unworthy. We feel too ashamed. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden where we're just like, oh, we want to hide ourselves from God sometimes. And if we're like praying and we think a bad word, we're like, oh, how did I say that in my head? Or if we think a selfish thought, we think God doesn't know. We hide from God. We justify sin. Yeah, God, I did that. But it's because of this. And we hide, and we don't just come to him 
and say, Abba. See, when the prodigal son was a long way off, I love it. This parable is perhaps the most telling of the character of God. Jesus says that the father ran after the son and hugged him. And what happens next? Kissed him. And the father would not stop kissing the son. (laughs) This is Abba. And you can't imagine that feeling, I don't think, until you have your own children and you've lost a child. One time we were at the spaghetti factory and we were about to leave and Melissa says, where's Owen? (laughs) He was like two years old. And I looked around and I was like, oh no, Owen's gone. And it's right on the highway. And we looked in the bathroom and Owen's not there. We looked throughout the restaurant and Owen's not there. And so I run outside and I'm looking in the parking lot. Ten minutes go by and there's just that feeling of, he's gone. Like, where is our son? And so then you start to look in stupid places, like in people's cars as they're driving by and on the highway to see if you got hit. And just every worst scenario is going through your brain. Where's my son? Where's my son? Where's my son? And 10 minutes later, we find him. He's just underneath the table, thinking it's hilarious. And when we found him, there's just this feeling of incredible relief. You've been found. You've been found. Hug him, just kissing, kissing, kissing. This is the image of God that Jesus wants us to have. This is the image. He's just relieved that we're there. He's just so relieved that we're safe when we come to him. I love this image. I've been reading a lot of Brennan Manning and listening to his sermons, and I love Brennan Manning. He wrote this book called Ragamuffin Gospel. He went to this church in Freiburg, Switzerland, and, and he saw on, on the walls of this church, there's one image where Jesus is being crucified, and, and God is looking on Jesus, and, and God is just, he's got this face that's distorted, and in so much pain, and he's crying, and the next scene is Jesus in heaven, And it's God running toward Jesus in the place of the father and the prodigal son. And then in the third image, there's God holding Jesus and kissing him. Because Jesus took on our sin. He became sin so that we would have no sin. Jesus became the prodigal. And this artist's rendering of God is that he is Abba. He just loves his son, Jesus. And this is the same thing when we get to heaven is that he will run to us He will grab us. He will hold us. He will kiss us. And so now as Jesus is preaching to the thousands on this mountain, he refers again to Abba. He did it once as he taught them how to pray, and now he's bringing this truth to the multitudes. And this is the first time they've ever heard this. They've never heard this. He refers to God as Abba, and he says, Ask, seek, and knock because your Father loves you and will run to you. Listen to how Luke says he will answer. This is the same passage, but this is how Luke reads it. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, he wants to give the Holy Spirit to us. The greatest gift he can give to us is himself. 
This is Abba running after us. Brennan Manning was with a leper, and he said that she was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen, even though her fingers were all gone and there was just a stump for where her hands were. And he said that she had no nose, it was just a hole. And she didn't really have much of a mouth left. It was just it was just this open cavity. He said she was stunning. She had the biggest brown eyes. And he started to pray for her. And he says, and suddenly, these are in the words of Brennan Manning, he said, a light filled the room and just shone on her face, and he just sat there in awe of what he saw. And she just started to smile. She just started to smile so big, and she said, I'm happy beyond words. And Brennan Manning said, well, what, why? She said, Abba just spoke to me and said, I'm taking you home. And then she just started to just cry, and she's just staring off, and Brennan said, what else, what else did he say to you? And this is what he, God said to her. He said, come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you the winter is past. A season of spring has come. Come now, love, let me see your face. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. She was quoting Song of Solomon chapter 2. She'd never read the Bible. She's illiterate, and no one had ever read this to her before. But God was speaking to her the words of Song of Solomon. She died within a few hours, and, and Brennan Manning was in complete awe of how Abba ran after this leper, how in her last moments on earth she was shining, and this is reminiscent of Stephen as he's being martyred, they're throwing rocks at him and his bones are breaking and he is shining like the sun and he is staring up to heaven. And the Holy Spirit has come to him. That's what he does. See, what in the world is happening here? When we ask and when we seek and when we knock, Jesus is promising that we will receive the Holy Spirit that Abba will run to us. I want to show you a video. This is from a sermon from Britt Merrick, and, and I've talked about him many times. Many of you know their story. But his daughter um, got cancer when she was four, and, and for three and a half years, they fought this. And, and after he died, after she died, he just he couldn't preach, he couldn't pray, and his church gave him a leave of absence. He just, he went through such great sorrow and mourning, which is very obvious and very real. And when he got back, this was his first sermon. He had to give an update as to what God has done in the life of his family, and this is what he had to say about the death of his daughter. Okay, go ahead and roll it. What I want to do primarily is one thing. What I want to do primarily is one thing. I want to testify to this. I want to testify of our Heavenly Father's wonderful, saving presence in our lives. Our Heavenly Father's wonderful, rescuing presence in our lives. In hopes that when your life is difficult, when you're facing times of uncertainty, 
overwhelming odds, difficulties, darkness, that you'll be inspired to remember the promise of Scripture, that the Father is with you. And in those times, that would be for you, as it has been for my family and I, enough to know that your Father who loves you is with you and He sustains and holds you in the darkest hours of your time here on earth. When life hurts, when things are messy and seem out of control, when all is unfair, unkind, and seems to be ending badly, what is the issue? And what does it mean to not be afraid? That's ludicrous. What does it mean to not be afraid? And what does it mean to fear God in those times? Jesus explains, verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. Therefore, do not fear. He doesn't say that a sparrow will never fall. He says the sparrows will fall. Christ and Scripture are very very forthright. Bad things happen, even to innocent little birds. Bad things happen. Tragic, unfair, senseless things happen in this world and in our lives. That's just the way it is. What he's saying is they do not happen apart from your Father who is in heaven. Bad things happen, but they do not happen apart from your Father. God is never absent from the equation. As the NIV puts that phrase, sparrow will not fall outside of your Father's care. Bad things happen, but it never means that your Heavenly Father doesn't care. Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid of what can kill you. Cancer is not the thing to fear. Fear God. Fear God, don't fear circumstances. Fear God, don't fear people. Fear God, don't fear pain. Fear God, don't fear death. Fear God, don't fear what they might do to you. Fear God, don't fear rejection. He says in an interesting way, fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell. Kind of strong language. In the New Living Translation, it says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God. The idea being, he's the one who's greater, exemplified by the phrase, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. People can only do so much to you, but God is far greater. He holds eternity in his hands. He's getting it. He's trying to make the disciples think about the things of eternity. Don't be overwhelmed by the mere temporal circumstances as bad as they are. I want you to think about eternal things and let it bring you to the fear of God. This is what it means to fear God. To fear God is to revere, respect, honor, extol, and trust Him enough to believe by faith that He is good, sovereign, and present when life is hard, cruel, and out of control. That's what it means to fear God. And then to honor Him in that way. You see, life is always going to present things that will incite fear, right? Illness, 
pending death, rejection, financial hardships, failure, loneliness, abandonment, the unknown, loss of control. And when these things happen, we have a choice to either fear God or fear everything else. And to fear God at the very minimum means to trust Him. Everything around you is saying He can't be trusted. Faith in the pace of pain is this, trusting God's goodness despite any apparent evidence against it. Jesus moves us to this logic. The reason that we don't have to be afraid is nothing hard happens apart from our Father's care. So we, we can't accuse God anymore of not caring. Jesus said that's not true. He always cares. He's always present. And his presence proves that he cares. And it soothes our fears. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. It's the only answer to that question. I'm in the valley of shadow of death. I won't fear evil. Why? For thou art with me. That's good. If you want to catch that full sermon, if you just Google search Brit Merrick, When a Sparrow Falls, oh, it's rich. And, and it, it needs to be noted that, um, that Daisy, prior to her death, went through, we, we hear these stories of great faith and that she had so much faith and, and just so much just light and hope in her, but she also went through a period of darkness where she questioned God. Brett, after the fact, couldn't pray for months and months. Grief is a real part of life, and, and there's nothing wrong with grief. In fact, it's, it can be very beautiful. But he promises his presence. He says that when we ask, seek, and knock, that he promises the Holy Spirit. And just like Stephen, when he was being martyred, was filled. And like that woman that Brennan Manning was with, when Jesus was in his dark night of his soul and the lowest moment of his life, we can see how God responds and how we need to act. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested and crucified, and he is sweating blood. He's in so much stress, and he just cries out. He's just like, God, take this away. He's asking, seeking, and knocking. He's saying, take it, take it. I don't want it. I can't do it. I, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I don't know if that's what he's saying, but he's saying there's got to be a different way. He's just in so much turmoil. But the first thing that he says, the first word from his mouth is this. It's Abba. If it's possible, take this cup from me. But then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. This is total trust. He's saying you are Abba. And you love me and you're present. And the Spirit of God came and attended Jesus because that's what he does every time we pray. And you know what? God never answered him like he wanted. But guess what happened? He was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. It's almost as though God is saying, just wait, just trust me. You don't know my perspective. You don't know. Just trust me, just trust me. And so we come to him and we say, Abba, Abba, help me. We don't always see the full picture. We just did a really funny prank on Quinn. 
<laughs> he didn't want his bachelor party to be last weekend because he had exams all week. And so the guys said, we're going to do a fake bachelor party for Quinn. This is going to be hilarious. And so we pick him up on Friday night, and we are dying laughing. We're in the motorhome, and we've got, like, you know, music pumping. And he gets in the motorhome, and he is just so upset because he specifically told all of his friends, if we have the bachelor party this weekend, I will not like any of you ever again. Like, it cannot happen. I have exams. And so he's sitting in the back seat, and he's thinking, none of my friends love me. Surely my fiance Anna doesn't love me to let this happen. Nobody loves me, and I'm driving, and I'm laughing so hard, but I am hurting so bad because I'm thinking this hurts because <laughs> he's in turmoil and in pain. Even though I know this is a joke, and in five minutes we're going to drop him off at home, we knew the end, but he didn't know the end. Do you see what I'm saying? He didn't know the outcome, and it was just hilarious and weird, When it was revealed to him, he just started laughing, and we bought milkshakes, and it was great. But he couldn't see the end. And so his perspective was limited compared to ours. He thought, these people don't love me. But let me tell you something really important, is that you were made to be face-to-face with your father who meets every one of your needs. This is why you were created to be face-to-face with Abba. And when we ask, seek, and knock, he promises Abba to come running after us. You see, when you die, he is there. When others die, he is your comfort, he is there. So many of us have stopped praying, and we are filled with that spirit that makes us cry, Abba, that gives us an intimate closeness with a father who gives us everything we need. He is saying, pray, Abba, because you have full access and direct line to me, that intimacy. I want to run after you. I want to hug you. I want to kiss you. Every good thing is found in him. Listen to the language in James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He is the perfect gift. That's what Jesus says. He says, how much more do I want to give good gifts to you? And then James picks it up later and says, he is the good and perfect gift. He is the one. Wow. You see, I was afraid at the beginning of this message of just presenting this scripture and this idea that change or prayer only changes us, that he just comes and makes it, soothes us and brings us. And I feel like if we were to leave it right here, that's where we would end up. But not only does Abba come, but Abba changes things. Doesn't he? Prayer works. They did a study in Time magazine where this cardiologist named Randolph Bird, he had 300 and 93 patients, and they were all heart attack victims. That's almost 400. And they did a study with these 400. They took half of them, and they got three churches to pray for half of them. By name, each person. 200 of them. But they didn't tell any of the people that they were being prayed for, and they didn't tell the doctors. This is called a double-blind study. But the other half were not being prayed for. And this cardiologist did all the tests on these 400, nearly 400 patients, And they found absolutely stunning results. Only three of the people that were being prayed for died. 
versus 40 in the other group. The group that were being prayed for were three times less likely to need antibiotics and only one needed life support versus 23 in the other group. It's astounding. In our church community, we have seen answered prayer like crazy. Am I right? Like, I mean, we could easily write a book, and it would just be called Book of Answered Prayer. It was so fun because on the way to L.A., people were coming up to me and saying, hey, tell me this story. Tell me that story. And then they're like, can, we just, can you just tell me stories? And we would just, just be driving and just telling stories of miracles. And it could go on for hours and hours. It could be forever. And you know what? He does the miraculous. Just open up your Bible and just point, and I guarantee there's a miracle where you're pointing. This is who he is. But know this. God cares more about our souls than our bodies. And he cares more about our eternity than our present. And he knows the end, and he is Abba. And when we pray, he promises his presence. He promises he will run to us. And so we can just say, Abba, not our will but yours be done. We trust you. You know the end from the beginning. Your ways are higher than our ways. And your presence changes everything. We're going to pray and, and uh, we're going to take communion together and we're going to worship. And I'm just going to ask you straight up, if, if you feel far from Abba, if that term seems unfamiliar he promises to give us his spirit. And it does change everything. On Friday night, we went to this place called Crazy Creek. I don't know if you guys have been there. It's a really neat place, past Sycamus. And there was this train that was um, whistling in the distance. And, and Owen said, I want to go see that train. And it's raining out and it's pitch black. And I'm like, okay, let's go. So I grabbed my cell phone with the little camera. And we're to start just going through the forest, just through this thick bush, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I don't know if I can get back. <laughs> I don't even know where we are. And Owen says to me something really interesting. He says, if I was alone, this would be the scariest thing I could ever imagine. <laughs> I thought, man, that's true. Having your father there changes everything, doesn't it? No matter where you are, any situation you find yourself in, when Jesus says, when you pray, pray Abba, changes our lives. When he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, and your Father will come to you, the giver of good gifts. Every good and perfect thing comes from him, comes and makes presence amongst you. And you have full intimate access with the creator of the universe. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, it's beyond amazing that you call us your children it's beyond amazing that our inheritance is the kingdom of heaven, that we will spend eternity with you. God, that you run after us and you embrace us and you kiss us.
Father, I thank you that there's no separation from you, God. (laughs) That we can crawl into your arms at any moment, God. Father, I thank you so much that you desire to give us the Holy Spirit. Father, I I just pray that we would be like people in this place that just run after you, God. God, I pray that there would be no feeling that we're not good enough for you, God, or that you don't want us. God, that we have to earn your love as though your love was conditional. I pray, I praise you that everything good is found in you, God. Father, I pray that as we take communion now, God, that we remember that the one who will judge us is also our daddy and has given us a special place. I thank you that the one that holds heaven is our daddy. I thank you that when the enemy comes up against us, they look at us as sons of the living God. God, I pray that you just reorientate our heart towards you this evening, God. God, that we would just enjoy being in your presence, God. That the darkness would just seem like nothing because you are with us, God. And when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear nothing because you are with us, God. Thank you, Father, that you promise your presence. Thank you, Jesus. I invite you to come and take communion with us. I invite you, if you would like prayer, there'll be prayers on these front rows with little prayer lanyards on. We would love to just pray with you.